We've said it from the beginning of the series. I want to say it every week because I want it to be deeply in your ingrained in your soul is that as we talk about friendship with God, that can be so intimidating. I don't know that I can be a friend of God. I don't know that God would let me be a friend of his. Here's the reality that it doesn't require perfection to be a friend of God. It does require faithfulness. You being faithful in the midst of this, uh, again, you're going to go down sometimes. You're going to fall down sometimes. You're going to be tripped sometimes. And even today, we're going to see somebody get pushed down and you're going to still see God is there with them. We're going to see the highs and the highs and we're going to see some lows throughout this series, but it is not perfection that God is looking for. It is faithfulness. So lean in on what it means to be in that relationship with God. So again, we're talking about Abraham and how he was a friend of God. He was recognized as a friend, friend of God. Uh, but if you remember in this whole series, we're going to see the ups and the downs. We're going to see high watermarks. We're going to see low watermarks. Well, I'm just telling you right now, now, today's a low watermark day. All right. So last week, last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, where where Abram has rose to to a level that we could only wish he had courage. He he took his forces and troops, and they went out and they they fought against four kingdoms. A three hundred eighteen men, literally just annihilate four kingdoms. Courageous that he was. He was not, he was not afraid at all. And then at the, uh, the next chapter, chapter 15, last week, we talked about where he was literally in this relationship with God. They have this nine different interchanges with God. You talk about talking with God, not just talking to God. It's this beautiful thing. 15.1 starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord came to Abram. So it's like God was initiating the relationship. God came to him with a message. God spoke to him. And again, you have this nine-point interchange, back and forth. Beautiful thing. Chapter 15 ends. Chapter 16 begins. In the second verse, it says this, Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, that's not a big deal. Except for the fact he didn't listen to anybody else's voice. Except for the fact that he tuned out God's voice. See, I don't think today that we have a hearing problem most of the time. We have a listening problem. That hearing problem means you literally cannot hear. The listening problem is that we choose who we listen to. And so here's a time in, in, in the story of Abram when he could have, should have stepped forward and he should be listening to his bride, yes, hearing her heart, hearing what she's going through, walking with her in, in, in empathy and working with her through the, through the struggles that she's going with. But at the same time, he ought to be leaning into the voice of God. God, what do, what do I do? What, how do I walk with my wife in this? What do I, where do I give her truth? And when you look at this passage, you just see such a dichotomy between the two. But I'm gonna, I didn't mention this in the first gathering, so you're getting free content material here that you can do research on this week. So I want you to see today and do your own research on this. But there is a tremendous amount of parallel between Genesis chapter three and Genesis chapter 16. So if you want to take a picture of that slide, you can do that. You can do your own study on your own time this next week. But you're going to find how what happens with Adam and Eve fall. And then what happens with Sarah is incredibly similar. Incredibly similar between Adam and Eve and Abram and Sarah. And so just hang on to that as, as, as food for thought. But in this passage... As we deal with this and we break this down, this hearing problem, excuse me, not a hearing problem, a listening problem, is because we choose to tune out and tune in. 
You know, some people, they tune more in their political party and pundits than they do the precepts of God. They can ignore the sins of their political party and tune in and tune out God's precepts. It's incredible. People that are, that are, Christ followers, how we can, again, selectively have this humor. We we can listen more to our spouse than we do our Savior. And we see that with Abram today. It doesn't mean you don't listen to your spouse. It doesn't mean you don't consult with your spouse. But when God's not a part of the equation, God's not a part of the conversation, we're, 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 we're reaching a low water mark at that point. When the boss's commands have greater precedence and authority in our life than our Lord's commands. There's a problem. There's an imbalance. When our emotional voices, this is not even voices outside. These are voices inside. When our emotional voices drowned out the voice of the still, small voice of God, there's an imbalance. And different ones, we struggle with different things. And I want to point out today that, that Sarah had some real serious voices going on in her head and in her heart. And so I want to, I want to approach this from a, from a place of empathy, not a judgmental, but then, and then, but, but then it's going to, it's going to appear as if I'm going the other way, but I'm going to put it in the first post from pronoun most of the way through today. So just, just understanding it. I could be there as quick as Sarah's there, uh, any given day of the week, but chapter 16, verse one is where we're at in, in, in Genesis. And these are the first words. And I just want you to do this with me. Emote for a moment. Emotionally enter into this for a moment. Sarah, Abram's wife had borne him no children. Now that just, you can just blow past that if you want and read right on. But here's a man, here's, here's, here's somebody. Here's a father, here's a, here, excuse me, here, here's, a, here's a man and here's, a, here's his bride and they so desperately wanted to have children. And, and Sarah is now 75 years old and she's not been able to bear her children. And that, so Mother's Day comes along like it did last weekend. And I've talked to some of you mothers or some ladies in this room who have shared that they would so, so much would love to be a mother, but they can't, they haven't been able to. It's been years. It's been maybe even decades. Well, let us see with Sarah, even her, she has waited for 75 years now. So again, just emotionally go there if you can. And then I want us to, in that space, as we talked about last week, that when God is silent, when we are waiting, God is still working. In our waiting, when we like, say, God, where are you at? God, you're not hearing me. I'm praying. And, and it's like, it's just reverberating in my head or it's reverberating in this house, but you're not hearing it. We're not connecting. And there's this disconnect. When you're waiting, God is still working. Because God doesn't operate on a time crunch. We live in time crunches, right? We live by calendars. We have this thing. Oh, we all wear it around. We're all constantly pulling out our phone and looking at time. It's probably going to give us notifications. You've got to be somewhere in five minutes. All these things, because we live in a time crunch world. God doesn't live in a time crunch world. He lives in the fullness of time. So let me just tell you this. 
Chapter 3 of Genesis is the very first messianic prophecy that Jesus is going to come. 6,000 years later, he comes. So, he does not operate on our time schedule. He does not operate on our time crunches. In fact, he says in Galatians that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. In the fullness of time, he came and God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. Now that's, that's just the way it is. God doesn't operate on our watch. He doesn't operate on our schedules. He doesn't operate the way we want him to operate. And so some of this is just a, just a little bit of reality. The lexicon definition for this fullness of time is the state of having every necessary component or step. So what God is looking at whenever he's orchestrating and, and, and governing and sovereignly looking out over this world in which we live, he is bringing all the components together and then in the fullness of time, things happen. And so we have to learn to live that this is not my life, this is God's world and I just happen to be my life in God's world. I'm just a part of God's story, which is really hard. You think about it like this, you, you're reading through the scriptures or you hear of a promise and you think, man, I needed that promise. You put a stake in the ground on that promise. Sarah was given a promise. Let me just give in context. Sarah was given a promise 10 years prior to this. In Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 16, it has been 10 years. He's 10 years ago, given a promise, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child that's going to populate the nations. You're going to have a nation that's bigger than everything. It's going to be incredible. And God keeps repeating himself throughout the whole narrative. That's the promise. But she's waiting for the provision of that promise. She's waiting. God, okay, you said it back there. I'm living here. Where, where, where am I? I'm, I'm kind of, throw that next slide up, guys. You kind of get stuck between the two, okay? I, I, here's the promise, and there's the provision. Where, do, where am I? Right here in the middle. And in the middle, it's messy. In the middle, we start doing this a lot. In the middle, we say, God, when are you going to move? God, you said you were going to do something, and it's not happened. You promised, and it's not been fulfilled. What are you up to? In fact, if you have your bulletins today, you might take out, uh, I, would like to, I would like you to just maybe just draw a line across the bulletin. Put, it, put promise, put provision, and then put why in the middle. What is it that, that you, you're feeling right now? What is it that Sarah was feeling right then? What is the promise that God has given you that has not been provided? And then you have to ask the question, as I do so often, is why, God? See, God tells us what a lot, but he doesn't tell us why. And he doesn't always tell us when. And it's in that part right there that it's so hard. It's in that part that I'm calling the pathway or the process or the means it's whenever God is working through us from the promise to the provision, but we're right here in the messy middle in the provision. And here's for God. Here's the way God it works. Is God is just as concerned about the process as he is about the product. And he's just as concerned about the means as he is about the end. And God may have a lot of work to do right here before you ever know this right here. And that's hard. 
So what has to line up? What, what is it that, that, that God takes so long? Ten years, come on. I mean, the time clock on Sarah's body, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. She's 75 years old. There's no way, right? They're in that situation of waiting. What's happening? In those times like that, in that pathway, in that middle, in that messy middle, there's conditions that need to be met. There's character that needs to be developed. There's circumstances that need to be aligned. And I don't always know what it is. Maybe it's all three. Maybe it's one. But it's not always, again, the way we would like. Take, take David, for example. David was anointed king. He was promised to be the king. Samuel anoints him as king. He says, you're going to be the next king. Ten to twelve years later, he becomes king. In fact, in that period of time, he had to run for his life and hide and hide, hid, hid, hid in caves and, and, and was, was being, being assaulted and being chased down by Saul's troops. He's like, he could easily go back here, God, you promised, but now I'm, I'm running for my life. What's going on? When's the provision going to be? 10 to 12 years. What was God doing? He had to grow the character of David and he had to bring down the pride of Saul. God was working in the circumstances He was working in the conditions. He was working in the character formation. Paul. Paul becomes a follower of Christ on the the road to Damascus. Read the story for yourself. It's incredible. Book of Acts. Come to Acts chapter 9 whenever it happens. He's told to go to Damascus and to go to a guy named Ananias. And Ananias is going to train him. And then he is going to be, it says in chapter 9, he is going to be a messenger of the gospel to where? To kings, to Gentiles, to, 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 to his own nation. He's promised that. When does that become a reality? It is 10 years before his first missionary journey. There's a promise. There's a provision there's a pathway, a process, a means that took time. Character had to be developed. Situations had to be changed. Lots had to happen there. Another example is Moses. Moses was called to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, right? They were in slavery. He said, lead my people. What do you do whenever you want to know an answer today? You Google it. So I Googled, how long does it take to walk from Egypt to Cana, the promised land? If you were to walk it and walk 14 miles a day, it'd take you a little over a week to walk it, okay? One week from Egypt to Palestine or to Israel or to the promised land. One week, how long did it take them? 40 years. What happened? Character wasn't ready. Character wasn't in place. Things weren't right. Again, one more example, Abram. Abram himself was given the land of promise. He was told to go to Cana. That was where God was going to give the, the, the nation would start there. It would be he and his family would, 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 would that would be the land of the four generations later before that became their land. I'm just trying to say that there is this waiting period that God, he's a sojourner throughout his, his narrative. And God is working. What's problem, problematic is when you're here, and some of you are here today, you're not there, and you've heard a promise from God, but you're here. What do you do here? What do you do in the messy middle? Well, a lot of people fall right here. A lot of people can't make it right here. Can't go the distance, won't wait 10 years, 
want shortcuts, do it their own way. God failed me. God let me down. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. It's a building of strength and character time here. It's not fun, but it's work that God is trying to do in you and around you and through you to prepare you for what he wants to do in his story. So what happens whenever you get in the middle and your faith fails? You see it with Sarah, you see it with Abram. High watermarks, low watermark today. Let's look at it very carefully. And one is you take, be careful, you take matters into your own hands. God gives you a promise. The provision's not there. You're stuck in the middle and you're waiting. He's been waiting for 10 years. Oh, uh, spoiler alert. They're not even halfway yet. They're going to have to wait for 15 more years before Isaac will be born. She doesn't know that. She has not even begun. She's not even the halfway point yet. And so the waiting is going to continue to be there. But the problem is, again, God gives us the what. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want you to do. This is the directive, the precepts, the commands that I'm giving you. This is where I want you to go. But he doesn't always give us the win. He doesn't always tell us. So what does Sarah do? Sarah takes the bull by the horns. She's a fixer. Any fixers in the room? you got a problem, you come to me, I'll fix it. Raise your hand, okay? Because that's 99% of you. All right, I'm a fixer. you got problems, don't come to me for counseling. Come to me for coaching. I'll tell you what to do. All right, I'll give you five steps to get out of that mess. And so I'm a, I'm a fixer kind of guy. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not, she's a fixer. She has a problem. She fixes the problem. The problem is that sometimes when we fix it with our plans and our programs, we miss what God wants to do. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Let's look closer at the Sarah story. Verse, verse 1, and Sarah, and Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant, basically assistant, right arm, kept her on track, all that kind of stuff. Abraham is incredibly wealthy. And this, this Egyptian woman, they probably picked up from chapter 12 when they were journeying through Egypt at that time. She comes back. Her name is Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord, notice this, she starts really getting emotional here. Now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children Now she starts fixing the problem. Go to the servant and it may be that I shall obtain children. She has a plan. She starts enacting that plan. She does her, she brings her resources, her creativity. She taps in again to what she has at her disposal. She's a problem solver. She's putting it together. Take Hagar, go sleep with her. And then we're going to, I'm going to have children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived for 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah and Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her uh, to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in to Hagar and she conceived. At that point, it's a different story. 
She steps into the plate and she goes, all right, listen, God's not taking, he's taking any more of my time, any more of my life. 10 years is long enough. I've waited 75 years now and I don't have a child and God promised me a child 10 years ago. So if God's not going to give it to me, I'm going to fix this problem. Take Hagar. So he takes Hagar. He does this in a very passive kind of way. And I'll get into that in, in, in a little bit. But here's what happens. When we fix it, we mess things up. We mess up what God's wanting to do. Think about David and Paul and all those names that I mentioned in the beginning of the message, Moses and, 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 uh, and Abram. Think about them. Think about when, when David didn't mess up God's plan but stuck with God's plan. There were times that literally in the cave, Saul was within an arm's length where he could have taken a knife and cut his throat. And he could have killed him. He was using the bathroom. You can't find a more vulnerable point than that. He's literally on the throne as the king. First Samuel 24, you read it for yourself. But David doesn't take his hand to his throat. He will not touch God's anointed. But what happens with Moses? Moses took matters into his own hand. Whenever the people of Israel need to be set free, what does he do? He goes and kills an Egyptian, buries him in the sand, and he has to run for the next 40 years of his life. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 2. See, when we take things into our own hand, we get ahead of God. We run ahead of God. That's not what God wants to do. He's trying to grow our character. He's trying to work in our circumstances. He's trying to bring the whole story together. Henry Blackaby said it like this. When God called Abram, he said, I will make your name great. Means I will develop your character to match your assignment. Nothing is more problematic than having a small character with a big assignment. How's God growing your character? Why is the waiting there? Maybe he's doing a work in your character. Maybe he's doing a work in the circumstances. Maybe he's doing, maybe there's conditions that at play here that you haven't lived up to the conditions of the promises. I mean, you read the Beatitudes, you read Matthew chapter five and all the blessed, 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 blessed that Jesus said, every single one of them has a condition to it. You have to live up to the condition to get the promise. There was um, a time early on in Lori and I's marriage when um, I, I, kn- I knew where God was leading us. I absolutely knew. I had chapter and verse. I had circumstances. I had, I mean, I could, I could have had a vision from God and it wouldn't have been any clearer than this. I share it with her and she says, not God's plan for our life. It wasn't that I was more spiritual. It was just God spoke to me first at that time. So it's like we've never made any decision, any big decision, that we don't make that decision together, unified in that. And so we, I wait, I wait. Three years later, God calls her. Now, I'm a fixer, I'm a doer. All she had to do is say, let's go, and I was go. I mean, it was like I was packing the bags, I was getting things in, in order. God said, not yet. I still got more character work to do on you. Jordan was less than a year old. She was four months old when God first spoke to me. We did not make that move until she was five years old. We had to wait five years. Why? Because the conditions, the circumstances, everything had to align. God's big story. If we had gone back here, we'd have gone to the wrong place. But when we went here, we went to the right place, a place that our kids look at to this day as the most incredible experience of their life. When you wait, 
on God, instead of running ahead of God, instead of fixing it, instead of taking charge, you get to experience what God is going to do in you. Don't take matters into your own hands when God's given you a promise. Wait for God. And that's what Abram could have done. In that moment, when his wife is speaking out, this is what we got to do. He can say, hey, babe, listen, I'm with you. I I understand what you're going through. I understand the pain. I don't have a child either. I'm with you. We're in this together. He could have entered into a real great, positive servant leadership role. He could have been very empathetic with his wife. Instead, he just was passive and let her call the shots. And he did what she said, which leads me to number two, is when your faith fails, you're driven by your emotions. Your emotions drive you. Hey, listen, emotions are of God, okay? Emotions are a part of our story. Emotions are part of the image of God. You see God throughout the scripture having every range of emotions. Feel your feelings, okay? Know your emotions, but don't let your emotions drive you. Control you. Last week we saw where Abram struggled with fear. He struggled with depression. So emotions are real. She's going through some emotions, but the problem is she's letting her emotions drive her. She's following those emotions. That can be a very toxic way. And the emotion that she's dealing with is one simple four-letter word, envy. And this is what I can say about envy because I don't talk about it enough. I don't address it probably enough in my own life. I don't address it enough across uh, uh, humanity. Envy is slow rot to your soul. It is a slow rot on your soul whenever you don't have what you want to have or you don't have what other people have. What happens with envy is we begin to get tunnel vision. Social media is one of the greatest feeders of envy. I don't know if you realize that. Because you look at somebody else's life, you go, I want to go on vacations like them. I want a husband like them. I want a wife like them. I want my kids to always clean up their room. I, I want my kids to always make straight A's. We never post them when they get a, a, an F. Let me post them when I spank my kid. Okay? You don't, you don't do that. We only post, post those posts. So what we do is you get paternal vision. You think you're looking. It's like, I want that life. I don't want my life. We also struggle with losing long-term memory. We're so caught in the present, we're so caught up in this moment that we forget the patterns of faithfulness, the the ongoing provisions of God, the way he has protected and preserved you and brought you and orchestrated you to this very moment. We kind of forget that because we're envious of what we don't have. We have tunnel vision and it really just corrupts our mindset. Envy is a very dark thing and it causes us to be driven by our emotions. And again, I'm going to let you study a lot of this on your own because I'm flying through this today. But here's this. Here's what emotions, when you're driven by your emotions, what happened is the voice of emotion speaks louder than the voice of God. Again, we don't have a hearing problem. We have a listening problem. And we tune into our emotions and we allow emotions to speak louder to us. And so what happens now in Abram's life is she is screaming at him. I mean, you can almost hear it. And Abram listens to the voice of Sarah. Listens to the voice of Sarah. Such an opportunity for him to step up again and hear and understand and be empathetic and work with and validate her emotions without validating her response. You can validate somebody's emotions and not validate their response and how they're reasoning it out. In fact, that's a great time to be the spouse on the other end that brings reason back to the table. 
a close friend on the other end, if you're single, that brings reason back, brings you back to reason, back to truth. Number two is God becomes a problem, not your counselor. God becomes your problem, not your counselor. God, if you wouldn't have done this, God, if you would have stopped this, God, why did you allow that to happen? God, 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 why am I not bearing children? God's promised he's going to bear children. Live in the promise. But it says in Genesis chapter 16, the Lord has prevented me. It's as if God has stepped into my womb and is shutting it down and closing me out. Instead of turning to God saying, God, I'm hurting. God, I need you. God, I'm, I need this provision of your promise. If, 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 you're, if I'm going to be a widow all my life, if I'm going to be barren all my life, then don't tell me 10 years ago that I'm going to have a kid. I had wrestled that one to the ground. I had realized I'm not going to bear children. But now you got my hopes up. And now I'm living in this situation. God has prevented. You can hear that, that emotion. God becomes the part of the problem. So she gets into this blame thing going. We need to realize that actually God is our counselor. He is near to the brokenhearted. It says in Psalm 34. So lean in on that. Would you, would you read this out loud with me? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. And if you're here and you're here for a long time, that can be you. And if you've heard the promises, claimed the promises, but you're not seeing the promises, you can get crushed in spirit. And again, if you see somebody else having kids and you're not having kids, envy kind of comes on. Emotions can kind of take over. Number three, she has an eye problem. Again, you have tunnel vision. You're only seeing what you're seeing. You're not seeing what God is doing. You're not seeing where God has has brought you. But if you look in verse 4 and 5, and I don't have time to read it, but I just want you to notice it and read it for yourself, that it says, and uh, he, uh, excuse me, she saw, she looked, she saw, she looked. Constantly, she's seeing. But she's only seeing what God is not providing. She's not seeing what God is doing and how he's working. Which then leads me to the third fallout of a broken, fallen faith. And I wish I didn't have to say this next one. Because I wish that we would stop at the emotions. I wish that we'd stop taking over. But what happens next happens so often and almost happens unconsciously is I hurt other people. Because I've been hurt, because I've been disappointed, because I've been bruised, I tend to take it out. If you have psychology 101 in college, you'll learn about displacement. You have a bad day at the job, you come home, you yell at the spouse, the spouse yells at the kids, the kids go kick the dog. And it just the, the dog bites the neighbor. I don't know what happens next. But you've got this chain that just happens. It's like, I got to take my frustrations out on you and you and you and you. And what happens here in this story, and this is so sad, is the most vulnerable person gets the lion's share of the pain. Gets the lion's share of the abuse. In fact, I look at this passage and I see both Abram and Sarah are wrong, even though Abram, Sarah tends to get most of the attention. But there's an incredible amount of passivity with Abram. Just like with Adam back in the beginning of time. When you look at Abram, 
You see a man that could have stepped into a situation, brought sanity, brought some emotional equilibrium back to the scenario. But instead, when she fixed it, she said, go be with Hagar. What does he do? I'm going to go be with Hagar. This is a man that in chapter 14 took 318 soldiers and beat up four kingdoms. He was a champion on the job. He was a warrior on the job. But he was a wimp in the home. There are so many men, I'll talk about men because we're talking about men, that are incredible on their job. But they're failed miserably when it comes home. About being a spiritual leader, a servant leader. And that can be men or women. Just in this situation, it's, it's a man being very passive because he's passive, first of all, whenever he just goes and bees with Hagar. That's not what God's plan was. But what do they do? They do what was customary in that day. If you read, and I know every one of y'all have got a copy of the Code of Hammurabi, okay? Go pull it off the shelf and read it when you get home. Find law 146. Somebody smarter than I read that and numbered the laws of the Code of Hammurabi. That was the standard law of that day. And the standard law of that day is if you were barren or you couldn't have children, it was okay to go get a surrogate bride and to sleep with your husband so that you could have children. So what is Sarah doing? She's only doing what's customary. She's only doing what's morally acceptable in that day. Here's the problem. If we do what's culturally acceptable and morally permissible, we may miss what is God's plan. It is not in our pay grade to rewrite the moral code of conduct of our society. And just because culturally it's okay, Code of Hammurabi says it's okay, just because everyone else is doing it, morally acceptable, doesn't mean it's what God's plan is. And we have got to stay anchored to that. But Abram, passive. Abram's passive later on whenever he had an opportunity to stand in for the injustice that was welling up inside of Sarah. He doesn't. He is silent. We'll see that in just a moment. Because when you go on, I mean, you just read the passage and she is seething with jealousy. She literally, it says, she saw that she was pregnant and then immediately Sarah has all manner of contempt for Hagar. Hagar did what the boss said to do. Do you see that? Hagar was an obedient worker, worked for this lady, Sarah. Sarah said, go sleep with my husband and does it because that's what you're supposed to do. You listen to what your boss says. And what does the boss do? Gets mad at her, starts jabbing her, wants to abuse her, kicks her out of the house. In fact, look at verse six of this same passage. It says, and Abram said to Sarah, this this is the second time, by the way, Abram's passive. Behold, it's your servant. She's in your power. You do with her what you please. Again, he could have stepped up and said, you know what? This is unjust. We can't do this. You you can't do this to Hagar. It says, then Sarah dealt harshly with her, dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. There's an entire message that I wish this this morning when I was finalizing the message content, I really wish that I had taken a whole other week just to talk about Hagar. But I just want to point this out because I don't have time to to read all the scriptures. 
Hagar is kicked out of the house on her own. She's a pregnant, single woman in an Arab, Middle Eastern culture who's been kicked out. Where is she going to go? She has no place to go. So in her mind, maybe back to Egypt. That's my family. I go back to my family. I'm from there originally. Okay, pack up your pregnant body and hike across the Sinai Desert. You'll never make it. So what does God do? God sees it. God hears it. God leans into it. And this is where you get to do your own homework this week and lean in on it. Because in verse 7, in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 11, these are the words. And the angel of the Lord found her by the spring. I love it that God takes the initiative and goes and finds her her. In her lonely, broken, abused, abandoned person, God finds her. He speaks to her. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said. So God's not through. And the angel of the Lord said to her, verse 11, again, God just keeps coming. I'm here for you, Hagar. You've been abandoned. You've been kicked out. You've been abused. You've been neglected. You've been put outside. But I am here for you. That's the kind of God that we have. Amen. Amen. And again, I wish I could develop this so much more. When you go down to verse 13, again, you just realize what, what, now we went from the emotions of Sarah, now we go to the emotions of Hagar. She's alone, she's abandoned, she's forgotten, she's put out, she's abused. There'd be hashtags, Me Too movements. She would be at the top of the list. And then what does it say in verse 13? And she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. What did, he, what did she say? You are the God of seeing. El Roi, she gives God a name. You're the God who sees me. When I feel like I'm alone, when I feel like nobody's listening to me, when I feel like I've been abandoned and abused, and you have, you have a God who sees. He pursues. He comes to you. He speaks to you. He wants to restore you. He wants to give you the life. And I can't even go into it, but it's there. He gives the same amount of promise almost to Hagar that he gives, which is the father, which is the beginning of the Arab nation as he does to the Israel. Read it for yourself. He's going to protect the Arabs. He's going to protect Israel. It's right there in that passage. Ishmael is the son that's born. Ishmael means the God who hears. He is the God who hears. He's the God who sees. He is there. Who are you? Where are you? Do you feel like you're like Sarah today? Kind of tired of waiting on God? Are you like Abraham? Oh, I'm good on the job, Mike, but uh, my faith is kind of wobbly. Are you like Hagar out here in the wilderness kicked out and alone, wondering where God is. Father God, wherever we are, whoever we are in this room today, just as you came and found Hagar by the spring, Lord, I pray that you would come to us. You would be with us. Be very present. Be very real. 
Speak to us. See us, Lord. Don't let anybody in this room feel as if they're not seen, heard, valued, loved. Father, thank you. Would you build our faith when our faith falters? Would you restore and renew us when we're weak? Father, thank you for being El Roi, the God who sees. And there's not a person that you're not seeing inside of their soul right this minute. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.